Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. If you recall last month, we discussed the case of the Church of the Lukumi Babaluaye versus the city of Hialeah. The landmark Supreme Court decision had a significant impact on the city of Hialeah in particular, but is much more influential in the case of religious liberty and particularly free exercise of religion in the United States. And while the case of the Church of the Lukumi Babaluaye winds up becoming a very big deal, and it was an important conflict between church and city in 1987, it was not the biggest story related to religion in and around Miami in 1987. Not by a long shot. That's because for two days, Miami became the ecclesiastical and geopolitical center of the world. Miami hosted the President of the United States, and it wasn't the biggest guest on the card. And today, this day in Miami history, September 11th, 1987, Pope John Paul II presided over Mass in Tamiami Park, a ceremony truly befitting a South Florida experience, imperfect yet divine. It's true that Pope John Paul II visited South Florida in September of 1987. But it's also true that the Vicar of Christ can't just stroll into town. In fact, preparations for the trip went back nearly two years. In the September 3rd, 1986 edition of the Miami News, under the headline, Answered Prayers, Nancy Moncrief Phillips reported, that an advanced team from the National Conference of Catholic Bishops was looking at possible sites for a massive outdoor mass when Miami hosted the pontiff in September of 1987. Those sites included Opalock Airport and Tamiami Park. Finally, on November 5th, 1986, Archbishop Edward McCarthy shared the good news with the South Florida community. We expect that his visit will touch the lives, of course, of uh, millions of perhaps millions here in South Florida, but actually at the mass, we're expecting between three and 500,000. McCarthy, like most in South Florida, was not a native South Floridian. He grew up in Cincinnati. He went to the seminary and was ordained early because of the number of priests that were being sent to assist as chaplains in World War II. His accelerated start was a sign of things to come. I'll let the legendary Ann Bishop explain McCarthy's route to Miami from part of a special she did on McCarthy before the Pope's visit in 1987. As his career expanded, he took on more duties within the Diocese of Cincinnati and became Auxiliary Bishop in 1965. In 1970, he was sent to Phoenix, Arizona, but it was not a lifetime appointment, although he thought it would be. In 1976, the call to Miami. 
to assist the gravely ill Bishop Coleman Carroll and to succeed him after his death in 1977. McCarthy considered this the coup of his career. And why wouldn't he? Not only had he landed a papal visit for the Miami Archdiocese, he landed the first stop of the Pope's cross-country tour in 1987. A man who knows a lot about McCarthy and the Pope's trip to Miami is Monsignor Pablo Navarro, now the rector of St. John Vianney College Seminary, located in Westchester. Navarro served as priest secretary to Archbishop McCarthy. I was the assistant to Archbishop McCarthy for a few years, uh, since uh, 1979 uh, through 1993. And, in the interest of full disclosure, I should let you know that he also married me and my wife in 2016. It would be the job of Navarro, Archbishop McCarthy, and the rest of the archdiocese to get the pontiff into Miami, accomplish the goals of the trip, and get him out of town in less than a day. And while the total amount of time in South Florida would add up to less than 24 hours, it would be an unbelievably packed schedule full of religion, geopolitics, and reconciliation. But as I said earlier, the Pope can't just stroll into town. We were kind of drilled about all this uh, for a previous year, uh, both by the uh, Secret Service, who handles all the visits of, the, uh, of any uh, diplomat or any foreign dignitary, as well as the, uh, the Vatican Secret Service, who obviously was concerned about his uh, security. Uh, so um, uh, we, were, we were receiving uh, instructions from the point of view of how to handle the Holy Father, uh, you know, in, from, a, from a point of view of a head of state. But I also had, even more importantly, you know, um, the concern of, of he is our religious leader. He's not just a head of state. There were plenty of preparations needed for the Pontus visit, ranging from the spiritual, like Archbishop McCarthy blessing a giant rosary, hanging off a building called The Falls in downtown Miami. For your mercy and justice, you, your reward for your faithful service will be a crown of life. We ask this through Christ our Lord. To the mundane. Will Davis and Jeffrey Donnell are responsible for some crucial links in the papal visit. They're installing about a mile and a half of chain link fence along the most heavily traveled part of the papal parade route. This is the electric company's front line, laying cable for the world's press and making sure the Pope doesn't blow a fuse while here. Fire rescue and mass officials worry that the smallest insects will become one of their biggest safety hazards when hundreds of thousands of people crowd onto the mass site. Despite their best efforts, they've tried at least three different chemicals, red fire ants are still easily found all over the mass site. Even local businesses and entrepreneurs got in on the action. This McDonald's is strategically located, and for that reason, some strategic McPlanning is in order. We will have to have added security and uh, added staffing, and uh, inventories would have to be increased. It's a, it's a logistics problem, yes. And that's what Cabrera and other business owners along Biscayne Boulevard met to discuss today. We could conceivably wake up on Thursday morning and have 300,000 people standing on the boulevard. Felix Spontaneous of Miami, he's a carpet cleaner, but in his free time, he makes Pope buttons to sell at $2 a piece. He's already sold 5,000. We expect to sell another, uh, another 5,000 uh, buttons uh, on that day. 
There were plenty of parking spaces, but prices climbed to $10 each at Richard East's front yard, who had no second thoughts about charging. Why not? They do it in the Orange Bowl. Is this anything like an Orange Bowl game? Yeah, it's better. <laughs> the arrival of any head of state to South Florida would be an all-hands-on-deck situation for local and state government. However, there was a pressing question. Pope John Paul II isn't just the head of state for Vatican City. He's a religious figure. And how would assisting the Pope's visit be compatible with the beliefs of separation of church and state? If you're a true South Floridian, you should know by now that the biggest areas of conflict around this issue, just like the biggest areas of conflict in pretty much everyday life down here, would deal with parking and transportation. The altar for the huge papal mass is already taking shape, but plans to get the faithful here are anything but locked down. 600 school buses to be chartered by Metro government are the hang-up. Dade School Board refuses to accept any liability for potential lawsuits, including challenges to the deal's constitutionality. And uh, that would have the consequence of uh, reducing the funds which are available to the children in the classrooms. Questions also circled around a Metro Dade initiative called the Pope Hotline. It is exactly what you think it is based on the name. Folks with questions about the Pope's two-day visit have already topped the 900 mark, and there's still three weeks to go. With all these big questions swirling, it's really important we don't forget the small details, too. The Pope was going to stay overnight at Archbishop McCarthy's house. There had to be preparations made. That was one of the specific areas of focus of Monsignor Navarro. Alongside Zoila Diaz, who was the director of lay ministries for the Archdiocese for decades, you can hear Diaz speak here to WTVJ News Channel 4. You have plan A, B, and C and type of thing. So You're operating on Murphy's Law. Yes. If anything could go wrong, if it will go wrong. go wrong. So we, are, we want to be ready for that thing that goes wrong. And hope that everything and goes right. And hope and pray everything goes right. You've been doing a lot of praying? Oh, yes. <laughs> you bet. Finally, on September 10th, 1987, at just around 2 p.m., Pope John Paul II stepped off of Shepherd One and onto the ground of Miami-Dade County, greeting President Ronald Reagan and First Lady Nancy Reagan, who were standing at the bottom of the stairs. President waiting for the Pope. Remember, he hasn't been standing there long, but there is the Pope. After greeting the Reagans, Pope John Paul II did not kiss the ground in Miami, a bit of a departure from the norm. But what he did do was after greeting dignitaries, walk right over to a waiting podium. And after a brief introduction by the president, Your Holiness, I know that in your travels you've made it a point to speak to people in their own language. Well, here in Miami, I have a suspicion that you will find many in your audience eager to hear you speak the beautiful language of Spain. He spoke to the assembled crowd. Like so many before me coming to America, and to this very city of Miami, I come as a pilgrim, a pilgrim in the cause of justice and peace and human solidarity, striving to build up the one human family. The Pope would depart the airport, but it wouldn't be the last time he and the president would meet in South Florida. From the airport, he headed to St. Mary Cathedral. He spoke to the assembled crowd in English 
It is a great joy for me to begin my pastoral visit here in Miami, in this cathedral of St. Mary's. And, per President Reagan's expectation, Spanish. Queridos hermanos y hermanas, como pastor de la Iglesia Universal, he recibido la gracia de las oraciones de millones de fieles de todo el mundo. The multilingual pontiff wasn't done yet, though. After he stepped outside of St. Mary Church, he addressed the local crowd in Creole. Pep, Pep Asien. The Pope then visited St. Martha Church for a dialogue between priests in America and him about the future of the priesthood. Then, off to Vizcaya to again visit with President Reagan, this time with a particular focus on foreign policy. The Pope and I also discussed the prospects for improved relations between the United States and the Soviet Union. And I told him that the United States is unshakably committed to the establishment of an enduring world peace and to the extension or expansion of human freedom around the globe. To celebrate the origin of the United States is to stress those moral and spiritual principles, those ethical concerns that influenced your founding fathers and have been incorporated into the experience of America. While the formal foreign policy discussion concluded at Vizcaya, the parade back to the Archbishop's home on the night of September 10th lent itself to some informal foreign policy politicking. A big goal of Miami's robust Cuban community was to communicate to the Pope their desire for him to pray for the island of Cuba and take action to reform the island. Green bows symbolizing hope adorn the windows and entrances at Little Havana businesses. The brightly colored ribbons are also part of the window dressing at a Nicaraguan restaurant in Sweetwater. It's the work of a hundred Cuban-American women who say they're fighting to preserve human rights in Cuba and Nicaragua. It's unlikely the Pope will even see the Cubans and Nicaraguans with their green bows, but organizers hope their message will get across through the media. Green bows and media coverage may have been effective. We're not quite sure. But there is definitely one way that we know this message was relayed to the Pope. It's a quite unique manner on the way back to Archbishop McCarthy's house. This from Monsignor Navarro. Uh, we had the, uh, you know, the uh, parade through uh, Biscayne Boulevard, which was, by the way, was very, very funny because all, all these people were holding signs up in, in Polish. And, uh, and the Archbishop sort of innocently, you know, said that many Polish people in the Archdiocese. So he, he, the Holy Father just laughed and he said, no, they're Cubans holding up signs saying, pray for Cuba in Polish. <laughs> They did their research. But anyway, yeah, they, yeah, they truly did. <laughs> After the conclusion of the meeting at Vizcaya, it was time to head to Archbishop McCarthy's residence. But between Vizcaya, on the very northern end of Coconut Grove, and Archbishop McCarthy's residence in Morningside, there was time for a Biscayne Bay parade. 
even though the mass that would happen in Tamiami Park would be the larger gathering, drawing more than a quarter million people, the parade was the real opportunity for all Miamians, no matter their faith tradition, to take in something from the Pope's visit. The excitement of seeing the Pope is not just confined to the thousands of Catholics who line the parade route. Ruth Covington is a practicing Methodist. Just when they said, here he comes, so I just, you know, it's just chills went down my spine. When the Pope arrived at 5260 Northeast 7th Avenue, across from Morningside Park, it was time for dinner, well past 9 p.m. But it's important to remember, the pontiff was still on Italian time. Despite the protestations of his advisors, the local archdiocese had a card up their sleeve to make sure the Pope was enjoying his late evening. Uh, but he was all animated, and, uh, and he basically was enjoying the, the dinner, because on top of everything else, we had this one a musician, a harpist, Peruvian harpist, uh, that played some of the Polish mountain songs. So, of course, the Holy Father was also singing along, so he was very animated, and his uh, personal secretary, was uh, Monsignor Jivish, was... Uh, you know, that said that he should go to bed and, and rest. Well, he, he, he would have none of it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Eventually, the dining and the music came to an end, and the Pope did get a few hours of sleep. But he woke up early the next day, and a series of coincidences landed Monsignor Pablo Navarro, a one-on-one, with Pope John Paul II. We were told that nobody should talk to him because he's to gather his thoughts. Uh, But of course, his secretary was supposed to serve him breakfast in his room. But his secretary overslept because of the jet lag. So Hmm. I was having breakfast of my own. And he just came out, and when, since I was told, you know, that he didn't talk to me, but I picked up everything to go into the kitchen, and he just motioned and says, no, no, I'll have breakfast with you. So, you know, there's one of those curveballs that you never, you could have never planned, but, but it just happened. That was a once-in-a-lifetime unbelievable event, totally unplanned. Uh, I was extremely clumsy the first few minutes because I didn't know, you know, I was sort of babbling away, didn't know what to say. And uh, he spoke both in English and perfect English, perfect Spanish, uh, asking questions, and, and that's that's what it, and sort of uh, warmed me into him. It was the fact of, uh, he started asking about the youth and, and uh, how are we uh, informing youth, you know, of the, of, the, of the love of Christ, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, he was very, very interested in general about the church, um, but also he was very interested in particular about the youth. One particular request of the Bishop of Rome made it very clear that he would fit in to Miami-Dade County just fine. But actually, I, I got a chance to cook for him. 
because our housekeeper or so forth was not in yet. It was very early in the morning. It was 5.30. So um, basically, uh, and one of the things, ironically, that he asked for is, is he asked if we had any mangoes. <laughs> really? <laughs> Thanks be to God, the only the only mango we had left in the tree, because, you know, the neighborhood kids used to come in and, and, and uh, borrow the mangoes permanently. <laughs> um, there was only one left, so he had the last one. So I had asked him, he says, uh, Holy Father, being from Poland, how do you know mangoes? So he says, oh, uh, I, I visited Philippine a couple of times, and then I've had them there, and I love them. So uh, that was one of the one of the treats I was able to provide for him, besides, you know, a regular breakfast that we, that we had. After his early breakfast, it was time to go to work again. The Mass was scheduled for 10 a.m., but he had an early appointment before traveling to Tamiami Park. His Holiness had an 8.15 a.m. meeting with American Jewish leaders, at the Dade County Cultural Center in downtown. Uh, This is currently the home of History Miami on Flagler Street. Any meeting between the head of the Catholic Church and leaders of the Jewish faith is going to be a bit tricky. It was made more complicated in June of 1987 when the Pope hosted Austrian President Kurt Waldheim. Waldheim was a recognized foreign diplomat, a former United States Secretary General, and president of Austria. He was also credibly accused by the United States government in April of 1987 of being a war criminal. The Holocaust. More than 10,000 survivors now live here in South Florida. To them, Kurt Waldheim represents a part of the horror. How can the Pope, in his clear conscience, get together with a man knowing what he was. The planned meeting between Jewish leaders and the Pope was on the rocks. The American Jewish Congress pulled out in June of 1987, and other organizations were inclined to do the same. It kicked off two months of severe diplomatic negotiation between the Pope and his representatives and representatives of Jewish interests in America and around the world. A July 9th meeting with Augustino Cardinal Casaroli, the Vatican Secretary of State, and members of the American Jewish Committee and other Jewish organizations led to a letter from the Pope. The letter cited the suffering of Jews in Europe in the 1940s during the Shoah, or Holocaust. He emphasized in particular the fact that the pain of the Holocaust was of Jews in Europe and around the world, but was also shared by Catholics, including the Pope himself. The Pope and his advisors indicated that the Waldheim meeting was simply the Pope acting as the head of state of the Vatican, encouraging diplomatic ties with all countries around the world. And diplomacy was what saved the meeting. So on September 11th, 1987, at the Cultural Center, the Pope sat down with leaders of the Jewish faith from the United States and around the world, including the American Jewish Congress, who chose to rejoin the meeting and talked about the dangers of anti-Semitism and the role of the Catholic Church in building good faith relations with Jews around the world. In order to understand even more deeply the meaning of the Shoah and the historical roots of anti-Semitism that are related to it, joint collaboration and studies by Catholics and Jews on the Shoah should be continued. The meeting that was fraught with peril for both sides wound up being a rather resounding success. 
This from Monsignor Navarro. I think that meeting uh, went very, very well. I was present at that meeting, and I saw, um, you know, among some of the rabbis who are friends of mine um, and some who have passed, they were truly, truly touched and truly moved and, 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 and uh, very touched that the Holy Father would meet with them here in Miami. Um, the, the, the normal place to meet a sizable Jewish community would have been either New York or Los Angeles. Uh, and, and not here. Uh, so um, they were very, very touched and very moved by that. After the Cultural Center, it was time for the main event. Pope John Paul II would travel west from downtown to Tamiami Park, next to Florida International University. An enormous altar had been constructed in the park specifically for a massive mass. The open-air tent-structured look isn't just eye-pleasing, though. It has another function. The Holy Father will be up on the top level, and we determine the height of that in order to allow the widest viewing angle in the park itself. The Mass attracted more than 200,000 people to Tamiami Park. It was full of pomp and circumstance, dancing and music all designed to lead up to the liturgical celebration. Finally, after doing a lap around the park in the Mobile, Pope John Paul II emerged and proceeded towards his custom-constructed altar. Everything seemed to be going off without a hitch, except for one problem. And that's a problem that any South Floridian knows is always lurking around the corner in early to mid-September. You don't have any rain there. Well, it's just starting to come down now, but no one talked about leaving or being uncomfortable or taking umbrellas out. I mean, I really just think that um, that uh, some people think it, it held up just long enough for the Pope to make his way around and be able to get up on, on the altar. And I really think that the way everyone feels here today, they get rained on, so be it. Well, actually, it is raining. Now, it's not a hard rain. It's sort of one of those little spritzers that we get now and again. I'm sure it's going to blow right over. Michelle Gillen and Ann Bishop are two of the most important voices in journalism in South Florida. They never got much wrong in both of their storied careers. But they could not have been more wrong on this day. Those dark clouds were not just passing moments of warning. They were signs of what was about to come from the skies above. It was during the gospel acclamation, moments before Pope John Paul II would take the lectern and deliver his homily the homily that a quarter million people were waiting for. This is what viewers of WPLG heard right before the Pope began to speak. We are uh, certainly getting the full impact of uh, the rain that has been hovering around us right now. And uh, you can see all of the umbrellas obviously up on the altar and trying to keep things dry and see if this will blow over. It is a heavy driving downpour and lots of lightning. It was that last part that Ann Bishop mentioned, the lightning, that was so problematic for two reasons. One, lightning is dangerous when you have a bunch of people in an open-air field. Two, the giant altar constructed specifically for the event was now potentially a death trap. The entire structure where the Holy Father celebrated the the Mass uh, was all made of of, uh, steel, so... um, they, they were afraid, and, and of course it was a very large cross right behind the Holy Father's seat. A 100-foot cross, to be exact. Uh, and the cross was also steel, so they were afraid that it would be, uh, uh, if there was lightning, that, that there could be a, a danger that the Holy Father could be hurt or killed. The Pope concluded his homily, but immediately after finishing, Archbishop McCarthy took the mic 
and spoke to the crowd. My beloved, my beloved, the conditions are such that we have decided that we should conclude the ceremony now with this service of the word and ask all of you to continue. A defined roar went up from the crowd, seemingly unwilling to move, eager to participate in the mass, even if it threatened their lives. But that was a decision that the archbishop and the pope could not allow the crowd to make. They needed to go home. But there was one logistical problem here. Once you start a Catholic mass, you can't really stop it. It contains two main parts, the liturgy of the word and the liturgy of the Eucharist. The liturgy of the word is the Bible readings and the homily. The liturgy of the Eucharist is where the Eucharist is distributed. The second part wasn't completed. And while most reporting on the events of the day described a canceled mass, that's not what happened at all. The mass was concluded, just in a way that no one would imagine. We concluded in the uh, the trailer with, that we had set up for the Holy Father, which was kind of like a, a double wide mobile home type thing. And uh, that's where he basically, we concluded the Eucharist. And uh, the bishops that were present were there along with the, uh, with the Pope's uh, secretary, Monsignor Jivish, and myself. A collection of the most important Catholic figures in America, alongside Pope John Paul II, together in a double-wide trailer in Tamiami Park, completing the Liturgy of the Eucharist, finishing the job before the pontiff left Miami. What a mental picture. The experience would be one that left a lasting impression on Pope John Paul II. And every time that we went to Rome after that, um, we would always say, Holy Father, we're from Miami where you did not finish a Mass, so we need to have a Mass with you. So he would always say, Miami, Miami, Miami. You know? <laughs> so, but he would always have a, a special Mass for us, uh, for the Miami folks, uh, whenever we went back. So that was, uh, uh, that was you know, we, we, we really milked that for all it was worth. And just like that, the visit was over. The Pope traveled back to Miami International Airport, boarded Shepherd One, and was off to his next American city, Columbia, South Carolina. Despite the very Miami interruption of proceedings near the end, it would be impossible to conclude that the Pontiff's visit to South Florida was anything but a success. Not that a visit by a Pope can be ordinary, but this was no ordinary papal visit. The impact on American and global foreign policy the impact on interfaith relationships, and the impact on the Archdiocese of Miami is simply immeasurable. There are a few very important resources I want to shout out today for making this entire episode possible. First off, Monsignor Pablo A. Navarro, a wonderful person, an excellent storyteller, who has an impossibly unique perspective on the events around the visit. Secondly, our friends at the Wolfson Archives at Miami-Dade College, which I dip into every single episode, and the Archbishop John C. Favalora Archive and Museum in Miami Gardens, which is the museum connected to the Archdiocese of Miami. The collected archives of the Miami News and the Miami Herald were fantastic in developing a deeper perspective of some of the controversies that swirled around the visit. The Ronald Reagan Presidential Library and Museum has a rather extensive collection of the speeches of the former president, as well as Pope John Paul II when he spoke beside him. Finally, I want to thank YouTube user John Paul II. It's a collection of videos on YouTube of, you guessed it, 
Pope John Paul II. It includes a wonderful collection of a variety of different broadcasts in and around Miami during the Pope's visit. It was really invaluable in being able to compare different stations' coverage. So thank you very much. If you're interested in all matters papal, uh, go ahead and subscribe to that YouTube channel. Lastly, as always, I want to thank you, the listener, for sticking around. Uh, This is a little bit of a longer episode than normal, but there was so much good stuff around it, it was very hard to make cuts. Uh, There will be a bonus episode coming out sometime either later this week or early next week featuring the full discussion that I had with Monsignor Pablo Navarro. There's even more good stuff in there, so do be sure to check that out when it drops. If you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed to This Day in Miami History on your preferred podcast provider. And if you like it even more than normal, make sure you leave good feedback wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps the show. I really do appreciate it. I'm going to encourage you to visit thisdaymiamipod.com and find us on social media at This Day Miami Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, even more than normal, because I'm hoping later this week I'll be able to share with you something that most Miamians and most of those interested in the Pope have never seen before. I can't give the full details. I'm still working on it, but I'm very excited. So stay tuned. With that cliffhanger sufficiently shared, I leave you now. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I've been Matthew Bunch. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.